Hi everybody, welcome to Reproducibility. Um, we're each joining you from a different place today. We have Amy Auburn in Oxford. Hello. Sophia Crivell in Amsterdam. Hi. Oh, should I say that in Dutch? I don't know. What do Dutch people say? They, they say hi say hello, as well, right? don't they? They say Yeah, hi. I think they say hi too. <laughs> <laughs> hi, but slightly more Dutch. <laughs> yes, I'm <laughs> Hi, but slightly more Dutch. <laughs> And from near Didcot with Insight of the Power Station, I am Sam Parsons. Uh, this week People we're talking about... People don't know that there's a power station in Didcot, Sam. <laughs> I'm now they do. adding now some they do. colour. Maybe it explains all the weird people in Didcot. Um, no one's going to listen from Are there. Are you sponsored by the Didcot Tourism Board? Oh no, they're literally demolishing it. <laughs> it it's done. Oh. Okay. This week... We're talking about the natural selection of bad science um, from Smoldino and McIlreath. Um, I really like this paper, personally. Um, so my guess, we're, we were all here for the Journal Club, right? This wasn't one of those weird weeks where only a few of us could make it. I was there. Yeah, I think we were. Yeah, yeah. I think... And it, we had a huge turnout as well, because I have a lot of sign-ups on... I'm, not, I'm using my old note sheet, and there are a lot of... E- emails I scribbled down as additional sign-ups. There yeah. seemed to be a lot of people who weren't yeah. from psychology there, which is nice. I think this was this was the week where we exactly we had the people from zoology there, and this was the week where I had to run to the supermarket to get more food because we didn't have yeah. enough, which never happened. This was before. our best week. This is something that we've not talked about enough that we provide food at these journal clubs. More people should come. It's great. We feed you. Um. Yes, this was great. There was there was loads of people there, so there was um I think more than anything it was a really nice discussion and with all of the previous stuff it's kind of like why are things fucked now? <laughs> and whether it's questionable research research practices, whether it's um uh the kind of the poor incentive structures or like the alignment of the incentive structures with uh with actually doing rigorous research. Um but I think this this paper more than any of the others kind of bummed us out because it was that like the future could be quite fucked too. It's quite negative, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we we can try and put a positive spin on it as much as possible. Um, yeah, yeah, but I mean, like in the end, it's like yeah, there we they try really hard at the end to put a positive spin on it, but then. You know, saying, oh, it's not, our simulation isn't everything, but it is quite damning at times. You know, they even say, our model presents a somewhat pessimistic picture of the scientific community. And then they just say that a lot of people know that already. <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing new. So, yeah. Things are broken. Um, I yeah. mean, it's, it's positive in the sense that it's not like... <sighs> It's kind of still pointing to all the same problems, but it's actually maybe a clearer one that's kind of looking forward in the sense that kind of, well, we can still maybe fix it. It just requires a yeah, much, much bigger much... course correction than we previously yeah, thought. Yeah, and also, right? also not just, yeah, also not just with, um, you know, I don't know, things like fee registration, you know, I don't know, just generally being rigorous, right? It's It's saying that all of these things don't matter in the end because of how the system works and how um, how these uh, what what they they call it 
well, I mean, how, how, how like methods uh, spread and are inherited and blah, 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 um, that it doesn't matter how vigorous we are because the rigorous people will just die out, right? So in that way, I don't think it could be any more negative <laughs> and well, scary. But before we go into too much existential angst, maybe maybe let's talk about the paper itself. <laughs> We're doing that, like, skipping let's right to that. the end of excitement. Um, okay, so I'm going to skip over the bit about institutional incentives for scientific researchers. We talked about that a lot, right? We, we, we know that they're about as aligned as... I don't know, corkscrew or something. I'm trying to think of something that's not straight. Yeah, um, well, I think I think something interesting they do know is this like differentiation between that you need to distinguish yourself as a scientist, and I think you know it is it is really a an evolutionary model probably does help in that you need to become like the strongest lab, and to do that you need to distinguish yourself, and they put two main ways of distinguishing yourself one to distinguishing yourself as particularly innovative and then distinguishing yourself as having a very high volume of output um and i think that was quite an interesting you know simplification of something that's naturally much more complicated but a good way to think about kind of actual evolutionary decisions that scientists need to do and i think you know even probably in masses project and default theses these are questions that we always need to ask ourselves you know am i going to churn out another paper or will i make sure that you know my factor structure is exactly right and like read up on all the methods um and in a group of phd students or master students i think you already feel these kind of evolutionary pressures on you sometimes yeah, well, I mean, that's that's kind of the strength of this evolutionary approach, right, is that it actually is one of the, f maybe one of the only ways to model in this idea that, like, people are essentially forced out of academia, right? It's either because of the quite, quite steep funnel structure of kind of PhD into postdoc into more kind of senior positions um, and tenured positions, especially, Um so it's like people have to leave, right? And then it's who do you want to who do you want to stay around in the perfect world in some ways? Is is this a good place to advertise um <laughs> our next specialty episode and that we uh, would still like people to um tell us Wait, well, I mean, maybe I'll just say, I'm doing it now. Um <laughs> because we yeah, we we tweeted about this the other day. Um, Amy's idea to do an episode about um, people who left academia, particularly ECRs, um, and we would like to hear from you and from uh, any people you know who left academia. Um, Let us why, beat survivor bias. What, what your reasons are? Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. I, I wrote something about this a little while back when I was talking about um, almost like reflections on applying for grants as a PhD, um, because it would be so easy to get into the, we got the grant and therefore those three months were really well spent and therefore I kind of did the right thing and, but all of that is so caked into this survivor bias that it almost feels like any advice that I could give that's like without all of these caveats that like this is so much luck and blah 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 blah, that it kind of just feels like I'm saying go and buy more lottery tickets because like that's the way that you win the lottery it that's what it feels like um that's what i really love this idea 
of getting people's perspectives because you kind of want to like any view of industry is usually told to us by people in academia so it's kind of inherently a bit flawed right or perspectives of people that have left academia quite often come from the people that are still in academia or that one time they've heard about stuff so so hearing like really personal stories i mean it can be anonymous don't we don't need to know everything or anything that people don't want to tell us um but i think i'm i'm just interested well and we're we're all we're always you know for the next few years we'll all be at crossroads on deciding what sort of job choices to do and i think we often it's quite odd because we are researchers you know where we collect data and we try to make informed decisions but then with this whole academia business i think we're all in this brainwashing environment where naturally we're all you know we're good at what we do in feeding research to our pis or to collaborators who all you know senior people depend on hard-working junior people so naturally they don't want you to leave but and then we just we naturally also we like what we do so it's very difficult to think about oh maybe we you know maybe i should be considering other options or maybe i should just inform myself about other reasons why people actually left um but we do it so little because there's so little opportunity so yeah i'm looking forward to it as well um it'll be good so yeah if you know of anybody who you think would be interesting um the link for our questionnaires on twitter at the moment so just send them the link to that and maybe you'll hear them on our show soon awesome good plug back to the paper (laughs) oh we were talking about paper okay um grant (laughs) this is this is like this is like academia no no, go ahead sophia Oh no! I mean, no, that that sounded like it was gonna be something good. <laughs> oh well, I was like, it sounds like me paper writing, being like, ah, uh, I don't like the paper I'm currently writing slash recording. Let's think about the next paper that I'm supposed to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what we just did. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I was I was gonna say. So turning back to the paper. Um, I would also like to talk about some something in that bit that Sam just wanted us to skip, which is <laughs> <laughs> very annoying of me as well. Um, because they're talking about that thing. I think we've also talked about this previously, you know, the, the idea that when a metric is used, um, uh, is, is, is used as a goal, um, when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. And... I was just thinking, I mean, like, this doesn't really have much to do with the paper, but I was just wondering whether this might also apply to, um, to sort of, to open science practices, you know, this idea of open washing, um, so that, that people, um, people adopt certain practices that are, that should be good, um, but only, but sort of do it for the wrong reasons, and then it's like if is that's if that sort of uh, compare. I don't know um, if that might be might also be a problem there. Well, if- I think. Well, I think you're right in saying. In, I guess it it does come hand in hand. Um, like I was talking to somebody the other day that 
there was a huge change in how people thought about open science in Germany when the first few like tenured positions started to be advertised saying that you needed to provide an open science statement. Um, so I think that naturally um, then people start saying, oh, now there's another target I need to meet, you know, so now I need to make sure everything's open data, but I don't put, you know, well-documented data up online. And I think naturally it's a problem, but in the end, we it, it does move in the right direction. You know, I, I couldn't think of any solution to that at the moment. And at least it's, I guess, in some way, at least it's prioritizing something that's much more aligned with rigor than, uh, like, the number of papers, for example, or something like that. Um, and it depends which practice, right? Yeah, and, and I guess if you if you don't... There you go. Uh, no, and, and I guess if you don't um, have that as a measure as well, as in some sort of um, measure of openness, um, then you also demote it to something that doesn't really matter, right? Because people really, really love their metrics. Oh, yeah, they love the metrics. I guess it, it depends how you go about the metric, right? So one of the issues with nigh on every metric that we have in the minute is that it's kind of a metric with basically no quality control. Whereas at least with... So, for example, if we were going to be really basic and count the number of Center for Open Science badges on your papers, and that is your, I don't know, OSF metric index special case, um, like, that would be good if um, things like each badge, so for the Open Data badge, for example, includes the kind of check that the data is sort of usable and well-documented and all of this kind of stuff. So it's kind of like, I think the metric in that sense could be good, but you have to have quality control for each step, and it's the quality control that we're really severely lacking. Yeah, but then you start going into discussions of like, should you make peer reviewers do even more? And then we can go into discussion of, why are we paying journals so much money and they don't provide us with any real services? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a response to one of my... Basically, we can... I th Basically, I think I think we can get from any topic to any other topic, like of the topics that we've <laughs> talked about in the past couple of journal clubs, um, just by ranting. I think that's a. It's I a think this could chain. be a new competition. <laughs> <laughs> just within the shortest space of time, who can cover like every open science yeah. topic possible? No, no, more like, you know, I, I, I give you topic A and I challenge you to get to topic B as quickly as possible. Oh, we, we can turn that into a speciality. That could actually be quite a lot of fun. Set each, set each other a challenge. With some special guests, that'd be fun. Our special guests. If we you can't, have we're doing academia guests, again. No, 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 no. We need yeah, to keep on the academia. paper. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've been talking about something non-paper related for like half of the time that we've recorded. This, this might fine. actually be an episode where we have to like cut things out, like full full on thoughts. No, nah, we'll we'll just skim the paper. It's fine. They won't mind. Um... 
<laughs> no, that, Sorry that's... Sorry that, you know, uh, sincere apologies paper. to the people who actually read the paper out there. <laughs> Genuinely um, read the paper as well. We've awesome. read it. We're just... <laughs> <laughs> okay, the paper? The paper. But yes, let's go back we, to the paper. We, we've just Sam, about you take over again. most of our tangents. The... This is the problem when I lead, is that I have no sway. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> So Wait, you think you, we've, you think we've done most of our tangents? Do you know us? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You oh, get back to the paper. Um, so let's start with the case study, right? So the really simple point that they make, although perhaps by looking at too few papers, um, is that statistical power hasn't improved over time. So I think. Essentially, the argument that they're trying to make is that if we're, if as a field we're valuing kind of rigor and, in this case, obtaining the power to detect an effect of a determined size, um, then in theory that would be something that we would see increase over time. Um, and the fact that we don't see that is perhaps reflective of uh, the fact that there's other incentives that are taking taking priority over kind of the incentive to do high-powered research in this case. Is that a fair summary? I, th I think it is. Um, I think it's interesting that they, they do have this very interesting way of approaching the issues, and I think this is why the paper's so good, that you really think about it in a very mathematical manner. And yeah, if the incentives were to find out the, the most truth out there, then there should be a change in the amount of power that we see over time. If you think that in 1965, there's a lot, you know, we knew a lot less, but there's also a lot different technology. Now it's a lot easier to gather participants. There's a lot more research funding out there. Um, maybe for more researchers, again, this is a different debate to have. But yeah, if there's no change over time, we know that there's something stagnating um, and we, we aren't doing our best in, in that way. Yeah, and probably, I mean, power is quite an easy easy target for this because I think it's, it's a lot more widely accepted that it's necessary now. I mean, you could go kind of deeper and say that the the particular methods used or the tasks used or um or in kind of my subfield of kind of cognitive experimental uh psychology like nobody reports how reliable their tasks are and it's things like that, that you kind of think if we value the accumulation of knowledge um these are things that should increase over time uh but they're much much harder to evaluate than power mm yeah, yeah, and I think... Do you get the impression that people care about power? I get the impression that a certain Twitter bubble really cares about power. Um. <laughs> I get the impression because power is quite an easy thing to grasp. A lot of funding bodies and research councils have started caring about power as kind of a proxy of being like, mm. we want you to think about how good your research is. So now tell us how you kind of think about your power. And then people punch out some sort of weird power now, analysis. Do this thing you should be doing. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. 
But they, they do it they do it without even really thinking about why they actually should be doing it and that they should also think about the reliability of their measurements, as Sam said, um, you know, how how good well, their or task even, or is. Even, or even without actually understanding power properly, right? Well yeah, I, mean, that, you I think can't that's you power for everything. <laughs> yeah, but then we it, it's just not taught enough that I remember when I first needed to, people, a person was like, oh, you should calculate, you know, your necessary sample size. And you were there going like, wait, what? I didn't get taught this. <laughs> um, and then I think that's that's a real problem that, and with PIs especially, or the PIs that I've seen around when they need to do a power analysis for a grant, you know, you, you just punch in some numbers into G power and you take that number or you take some sort of number that fits the budget you want to have. And I guess, again, we, again, we're having that discussion about when things become a metric or become, you know, net, a, a hoop to jump through, it naturally becomes more difficult. But again, it has led to a general increase in sample sizes. So that might be seen as a positive if, if, the quality of those sample sizes haven't decreased. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and you'd, you'd hope that that kind of continues to to improve. And I get the, the so we've been having uh, kind of our own journal club style lab meetings over the last kind of month or so. And a lot of the talks have been about power in terms of kind of planning some upcoming studies and things like that. Um, and the more and more you realize that really common designs just um or you, you can't powerful them without kind of simulating data and finding someone that has kind of figured out how to do that with simulations um so even something as relatively simple as like uh, a three-way ANOVA which is so such a common um common analysis no idea. No idea how to do this. G-Power doesn't. I've seen people advise it giving just the wrong advice on how to make G-Power do it. It won't be doing the right analysis, and <laughs> you're just hacking it, and it's terrible. Uh, you should figure that out. Um, but I don't know. It's gonna. Is this kind of moving into almost like a virtue signaling thing? Like a, oh yeah, we did it, but like, did you? Yeah, it's a no. I wouldn't. Thing. I wouldn't call it virtue signaling. It's probably again some sort of uh, yeah. yeah, open washing. Like, not open washing, but like rigor, rigor washing. <laughs> rigor washing. Oh, that's an awesome one. Like right, that. because 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 virtue signaling kind of implies that they actually believe in what they're doing. True. They just True. yeah. Well, I, I think I think going back to the paper, you know, it'll be interesting to see <laughs> see whether the change that whether there has been a change after two thousand fifteen is that is that going up? Um, I personally, coming from a field where it is possible to use, you know, online collection tools, um, I I'd, I'd like to start seeing more work looking at you know how has that affected the way that we do our science but overall i think the power would be increasing now which i guess is a good thing um across the board so yeah um but 
as they show here, um, it, it does, it, it can show us something about the state of our field, kind of the trends in power that are out there. So on that note of power, um, within within this paper, so they, they run a series of simulations to as a, an evolutionary model of science. Um, so I guess the first thing is that when they describe power, they're not actually talking about statistical power as we've been talking about it, which is already a point that confused me a lot and how I had to reread this. It's so, so confusing. Yeah. So I, I, I think, think it's such an in discussing this paper, there's going to be quite right. a huge caveat of please read the paper yourself because I won't go as far as saying we'll get things wrong, although that will probably happen. But I will go as far as to say is there's going to be a shit ton of information that we're going to miss out because otherwise it's just going to be about an hour of me reading stuff. Um, yeah, it's should, it's, should, should we? Um, it's, it's really weird because we've turned off the the video, so now we can't see when the other people are going to start talking. <laughs> Maybe we should turn it on again. Um, yeah, but, but then I was we going won't to hear you properly. Um, I mean, we can try. Well, um, but I was going to say, um, should we maybe agree on some sort of convention of uh, saying the, the, you know, their power word, which is not statistical power? So their well, or, ability or to we, positive, uh, positively identify a true association, or a lab's ability to positively, positively identify a true association, um, that kind of power. Will uh, we spend a lot of time on it, though? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, so so just to describe what, what they mean by it. So they essentially mean the probability of finding a significant effect, right? Regardless of whether that's a true positive or a false positive. So it's just the probability of finding the thing that you're hoping to find in terms of, let's just call it p-values. I think this probably most applies to p-values. They don't specify that, but I'd like to call this the p of less than 0.05 fallacy, but that might also wait. But did you say that it doesn't matter Mm. if it's a true association because it does say that each lab has a characteristic power, the ability to positively influence, identify a true association. Yeah, Uh, so this this is is where it gets confusing. This is also what's confusing because then, by their definition, when you increase power, you also increase the rate of false positives. Unless effort is exerted, because True. this is this is where I've I've been I was like I was this is where I started needing to like think of kind of visual I visualize things and it was like okay so if you want to increase your ability to positively identify true associations if if you increase that without increasing effort you'll start just having loads of false positives because you're doing a lot of tests. No. Um. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. This is one of the details that just read the paper for yourself. We're we're being super diligent in in this episode. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I think I think the the important thing is is that yeah, if you have, if you want to increase yeah if you if you're increasing your power because that's important to you know get your next scientific job without increasing effort then you'll get loads of false positives because you're doing 
a lot of maybe a lot of studies or um you're just pushing out those results but then if you do increase effort that decreases your productivity which makes sense um it takes longer to perform rigorous science um which is a big surprise yeah i think and those are the three main oversell things. it slightly i mean it depends on the the way that you improve rigor um but i think probably this is almost i i kind of think about this as like you have doubled your data collection time or something like that because they explicitly say that effort is is kind of quantified in the amount of time that it takes to produce a result um whereas i mean like pre-registration for example you can do it in the normal pipeline in such a way that it doesn't actually influence how long it takes to do anything if anything it can speed up the process of getting your result out there right um i guess that's that gives us some hope doesn't it because the model in the end is quite negative but with things like the psych science accelerator with things like yeah pre-registration maybe maybe speeding up the process um registered reports speeding up the publication process at the end or making it you know your results more publishable these things can skew or cumulatively skew this trend which is quite which they find to be quite negative so yeah i guess i guess that is a really good point that um that it it doesn't necessarily need to decrease productivity and i think i found this in my my work myself that um maybe at the beginning it is a time investment but yeah there are there are the stuff where it can um speed up things as well so a challenge to the listeners is to find i think they they actually link to i think it's javascript that these simulations were run in but they are available online if you want to download it play with some variables and find out like how we can fix things that would be great and then you can tell us and come on the show and we'll love you and stuff um, this is so much hope for like a minute of recording what is happening <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to be the positive one like sometimes I, I try to do that uh, okay so the important thing probably about this simulation is that it, it goes through thousands of runs of um, a number of labs collecting data publishing result or trying to publish results um I think importantly, they make um, positive or I guess significant results more publishable and kind of non-significant ones less publishable. Um, And they have this kind of general accumulation of, I don't think they call it prestige, but I'm going to call it prestige in this case, Um, because that's essentially what we're getting at. Some labs become more influential. Um, and kind of more powerful as the model propagates, um, and as I think, kind of rests with, uh, with with the wider field, that will tend to be the lab that produces a lot of research that is very sort of positive and in favour of their theories and all this kind of stuff. And they reproduce then, so they're higher. They they have a higher kind of probability um to reproduce so that means that kind of a new lab is formed that imperfectly inherits the characteristics of that lab so a lab that has a higher probability of being prestigious and churning out the papers and then i also like that they kill off a lab as well the oldest lab is killed (laughs) yeah from a from a Um, subsection of the the evolution phase yeah 
Which is is interesting. Like I, I almost wonder if a different way of doing it would be a kind of a random sample, but it's the one with the lowest influence rather than the oldest. So like obviously once it reaches a certain age, then it can't exist anymore. At least if you're talking. But then there are there are a lot of like tenured professors with low influence that just kind of exist. Like the you could you could argue that the only real way to get a tenured professor out is for them to die. <laughs> uh, isn't that I think that's the most cynical thing I've heard is along the lines of science advances like one death at a time. One funeral. Yeah. Um Well, like I was I I was talking to an Egyptologist who said that they they actually have a list of all there's only you know a handful of available professorships um and a lot of them are in germany or you know three the three that there are are in germany and they noted down the exact dates of the you know forced retirement and like each student knows exactly when that position is going to open and there's like a fierce competition that already starts like two years before that opening because they know that you know, that's opening's gonna be there and then it's gonna be gone for the next like thirty years. <laughs> Fuck. Wow. Maybe on that messed up note, we'll take a quick two minute break. And no, I mean really it's another note of hope. <laughs> Weirdly. <laughs> it could be worse. We'll do the pharaoh dance. We're we're gonna do the pharaoh dance and contemplate whether that's better <laughs> or worse than psychology. <laughs> You are listening to Reproducibility, serving you discussion of important issues in science and psychology, one mug of tea at a time. Do you like the taste of our podcast? Give us a follow on Twitter at Reproducibility, rate us on iTunes, and tell other early career researchers about us. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter or via our email address, which is reproducibility at gmail.com. Over the next weeks, we will also release some speciality flavours, small podcast episodes talking to a wide range of psychological researchers, especially awesome ECRs that we want you to meet. If you have someone you think should come on the show, send us a message. Hi everybody, welcome back to Reproducibility. Um, So before we get back into it, thank you as always to all of our listeners and special people. We really like it when you get in contact. A lot of you have been getting in contact about our recent call talking about um, reasons for leaving academia. Um, if you can get hold of more people, that would be great. Um, we'll start to contact people to maybe be on the show because it'd be kind of nice to hear as much of a, a personal input as possible. So I want to do a new thing that's maybe one of the more millennial things that I've done and read out a tweet that I loved um, just purely because this is my like oh no this isn't a nice one this isn't related to us at all this is just one that I think encapsulates like a shitty thing in science so this is going to be the negative thing and then we'll get back so so this is uh, Adrian Barnett that's at AD Barnett Um, so he writes it's a sign of how bad things have got that researchers think it's acceptable to write this in a nature journal. We continuously increased the number of animals until statistical significance was reached to support our conclusions. Thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I saw that as well. <laughs> I 
I, just, I saw well, it as well, being and open I'm speechless. And transparent. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, 10 out of 10 for transparency. I mean, like... No, but seriously, uh, right? I mean, like, at least that way people can actually interpret these results um, appropriately or accordingly. True. I mean, you'd hope that the Throw reviewers would in interpret it appropriately and say, get to fuck, come on. But. Yeah, but then I think I think we we need to remember that like cancer biology, they don't even know what power is. Like my housemate, <laughs> oh, sorry, my housemate is now getting dragged into the dirt. <laughs> um, this person in cancer biology, no, um, I you know they, most of them don't even get taught stats properly, and then because yeah because you actually need to work with mice and they have like full-on weeks where they just like kill off their mice <laughs> i don't know it's just it, i was it, it was interesting because naturally you know you're all in science but they're just so far off kind of even thinking about these issues that we're thinking about um and they have all these other problems like how do you manage reagents like that you make reagents openly <laughs> accessible <laughs> it's not that that easy and i guess well isn't there a currently a replication attempt in in kind of cancer biology papers and they couldn't even start the replication of most of them because there was just not enough information out there or something yeah. so yeah i think that field is pretty die if you think that um yeah it's cancer biology yeah and even for psychology i mean Right, so you said that the the reviewer should have caught it, but um, like recently someone told me about um, how when they were invited to review something, were asked to review something, um, they were also sent this list of resources, and it was like clearly meant meant in a, in a great way, right? Like, so here are all, all kinds of things that you should look at, um, including power. Um, and including sort of well, all kinds of interesting and important pa um, papers on stats, basically. Um, but it was clearly um, put together in 2012 because none of the papers were older than older than that. Um, and the only paper on power was something from something about and and or from G Power from 2008. Um, and the person who told me about this was very excited that they got this kind of resource, right? So I'm not sure if this kind of thing would be um, caught by reviewers necessarily outside of the, the Twitter bubble that you talked about earlier. I mean, yeah, I think that's the thing, though. At least it's something, because then at least it's pointing you towards the issue that, like, by the way, guys, this is a thing. Like you, you might actually. Have oh yeah, to no, consider. definitely. I think. I th but yeah, the, the, yeah. You know, like the, 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 there was like the the idea of having like a resource list for reviewers. Uh, of, you know, if, look at these kind of things. That's that's great. It's. <laughs> Sorry, I totally totally thrown by the the Skype emojis. Um, yeah, so the the resource list is great. It's just that um, the fact that that's. Well, that that I guess like that it was that a list from that, that was put together in 2012, um, and has minimal info on lot, lots of things is still something that's very new. 
kind of points you towards the reason why, um, like potential reason why pe- no reviewers caught that. Yeah. Six, yeah. for next year, a hackathon on developing an up-to-date resource would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be a great hackathon. Mm. See you all in Rotterdam. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. I'm wearing my Sips t-shirt, and I'm, I just want to go back. It was so great. <laughs> um... Should we talk about the paper? But enough of that. <laughs> so the thing that we were supposed yes. to be talking about um, in our super scientific honed minds um, <laughs> is the natural I'm selection of bad science. Um, okay, so we talked a little bit about how how the simulation's set up. So at each run, um, a, a lab dies and a lab replicates. The lab that replicates is the one that has been uh, well, they call accumulated payoff or most successful, which is kind of broadly, I guess, influence, maybe? Maybe the way of putting it. They kind of say it's not just necessarily like we're defining it as the number of papers or some stuff like that, but maybe it's the one that other labs start to do similar things to emulate their methods or to try and run not replications, but we'll come back to it later, but say all of the conceptual replications to hone in on that theory, for example. Um, And what happens next is that things go to hell really quick. (laughs) Yeah, so let's think, let's see about this. So um, selection favoured labs who put in less effort towards ensuring quality work which increased publication rate at the cost of more false positives. Um, yeah. And you can see that effort decreases pretty quickly um, in figure four. Um, so, yeah. Um, you don't really need to talk about, like, it's very clear um, in... Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I think the the quote that I like is continued degradation of scientific process because it just encapsulates <laughs> it so nicely. Um, yeah, everything goes to shit. The, the power increases in the sense that papers always find something positive or significant, which I think we've seen that somewhere before. Um... <laughs> and, uh, Let me think. That's a really difficult question. Where have we seen that before, Sam? <laughs> Maybe in psychology. Yeah, that rings a bell. In oh, psychology. It's such a prick, but it's true. Um, and <laughs> and along with that, the so alpha essentially increases from they start at a baseline, a nice kind of, albeit high, according depending on who you ask, of point zero five. And it just hits one. Just fucking one. Like, it's not even worth doing stats anymore. Um, sorry, I, I was, well, try, I was no, trying to be positive. Well, no, it doesn't hit one. It. Does it hit no, one? No, it doesn't hit one, yeah. It hits zero. It hits p- no, it six? hits 50. And this is a problem with graphs with two axes. <laughs> <laughs> I love how it's we're all hit just 0.75 um, 
Yeah, so so, like... so I was looking at figure figure three as power evolves, um, oh, which is okay. is kind of the the simple oh. one to look at because I'm more simple minded yeah. than than you both. Um. So yeah, things things go to hell. Um, well, and then they're like, hmm, maybe we can solve it with replications. And how well does that work out? <laughs> We've got an alternative career for Amy. Sorry. Uh, I said we we have an alt- alternate um, career for you. Yeah. Career path. <laughs> My housemate just came in and she didn't do that. Um, no, oh, sorry. I'm. It's late. It's late, and I'm tired. Um, <laughs> and this sucks. Yeah. Not the paper, but the. Um, and not not our podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> so they. Well, so the. I think I think it was in, what I found interesting. In the paper, so we can move away from me being weird. Um, was that yeah? Replication rates evolved slowly but steadily around zero point zero eight. So that's kind of eight percent of studies are replications and they're only weekly selected for because yeah publication or replications are they said are worth about half as much as a novel result but they also are guaranteed to be published um and then they said you know you could think about oh but maybe having replications um kind of fights this lower effort psychology lower effort science um because yeah it'd be really it's really bad if your results don't replicate, but actually they don't really find that. Um, and even if they force replication rate to be like incredibly high at like 50%, um, it did not stop effort from eventually bottoming out um, as you see in figure six. So like replication isn't going to solve it. Well, I think that that's kind of the scary thing about these simulations is kind of whatever happens even from like time one there's already a sort of decrease in the amount of effort and a sort of things are already on the decline so it's not kind of like things get progressively better but then kind of hit a peak and maybe gradually bad practices sink in or something like that it's just kind of all downhill um which does make me wonder a little bit if maybe some of the assumptions of the model need to be tweaked. Maybe they don't quite meet the current practice. So, so for example, in, in their case study, they kind of looked at power and found that power had sort of stayed level. So maybe the baseline of their model should also keep that idea that already statistical power um, is kind of level at baseline and then play with a few things. Could it be that it's it's because we're not all like homo economicus or, you know, that you could hope that most scientists, especially, you know, if you think about what traditionally it was meant to be in science, it meant really feeling compelled to discover the truth, you know, and I, I kind of hope that we still each have a nugget of that in us, even though we live in a world where that doesn't get promoted. So maybe that's something you can't model that easily, <laughs> um, but you hope would have a positive effect that, you know, who wants to like 
build a poorly paid, unstable career on not even finding out something that is of inherent value to the next generation. Yeah, but at the same time, it is a poorly paid, unstable career, right? And you're going to do whatever you can to make it more stable or, you know, to keep it, I guess. Um, mm. And you, people, you know, it, I think, it, you know, you might lose sight of these kind of ideals because Except you're focusing. Us, give us jobs. Um, Sorry, that, that was <laughs> that was unnecessary, Karen. Yeah, I think that, um, that that's no, I mean, true. Yeah. 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 So do you think, um, so maybe going slightly beyond the model itself, because the main thing they sort of play with is, is the replication rate and the value of replications, but do, do either of you think that maybe there's something else either very specific or kind of a so so something that might kind of help shift this trajectory in in a more positive direction community it'll be you know people mm. coming together to both change change things like the incentive structure like hiring um like the way that papers are published um but it'll also be people coming together to help each other um to be more productive to work together to let junior people who buy into your research practices and your ideals to push those um and i think i think a lot of people in the open science community feel that you know this community or at least i feel that that that's both something that makes it worthwhile but also something that really does help me along and help a lot of people along and we can only really manage it together um so for me i think that this is something that yes a sense of community and a sense of working together will be incredibly important both in changing scientific incentives but also in helping each one of us become more productive in the current incentive structures yeah. I wonder if, uh, so you kind of mentioned earlier about the kind of open science statements in job applications. I'm kind of, I'm hopeful that seeing that more and more is going to become a um, a good kind of strategy because then it's a an objective thing, right? It's kind of, oh, I have to do this to, like in the evolutionary model, to survive. Um and then it kind of becomes a necessity rather than a sort of optional extra. Um, well, and, and funders as well. Yeah, but I guess... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, well, I just want to say funders should... Yeah, funders can change that as well. <laughs> like, if funders say you need to have open science statement, then people would say, okay, <laughs> I need to survive... <laughs> I need open science statements um, and more than just open science statements, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I'm now very intrigued what you wanted to say, Sophia. Well, I was gonna say like, it can't just be that though, right? Because um, if it's if, if you add that and um, still have the same kind of expectations to, um, you know, like I mean, like, like we talked about last uh, in, the last epi- in the last specialty episode uh, with Julia, um, 
where she said that these economists were laughing at her at the idea that um, a psychology PhD is expected to publish three or four papers or something for a PhD, right? So if if that kind of thing still is still the case, and you then also require people to be uh, um, rigorous and to care about open science, then people are going to cut corners as well, right? So I don't think it's an and, it's kind of an or, mm. it's a decision, right? It's It's kind of... Yeah, I think I think that all of this is just one big decision on whether or not we want psychology to be a, a science. Um, and I think I think also a science out. and not and so we have to make decisions. Yeah, and and not being a science and not a storytelling business, I think is something as well in that something that I've really been noticing and I think a lot of people notice when they start adopting these practices is that your story is never going to be as simple as your past papers were or papers that you read are you know you'll always find results that are very different um that are not aligned that are counterintuitive and then you need to we need a system that is okay with that um and that embraces results that aren't perfect anymore because those are probably you know um you know um, made to look perfect even though they weren't originally anyways as well so i guess it's um yes yes so no you go (laughs) yeah so i mean i guess so then in the end these the old system and the new system, I guess, um, are just mutually exclusive at some point. It's okay to have both running um, at the same time for a little while, but if you don't, if you don't make a proper decision, um, if you don't get the majority of people on one side, then, well, I guess like this paper shows, then if you know, if you don't make a decision, then um, the the open side might just die out. Um, yeah, I'm getting sad. Can someone else well, say something? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the the I mean, it's not. This is like so trying to be positive out of a very negative paper, but I guess what it sort of hints at is that there isn't. So kind of trying to do a single thing within the the publication cycle essentially isn't sufficient, and what is needed is this kind of culture shift where. I guess the the fundamental values change. So, for example, if if we fundamentally added into these simulations that alpha should not go above 0.05, for example, like that just would not be accepted for publication, or power has to hit a certain level, then at least then you've kind of got there's a ceiling effect or like a floor effect, depending on which way you look at it, sort of built into things. So. Uh, so yeah, similar to what Amy was saying, if there's kind of a, a culture, or what you both were saying, if there's a culture shift and we value the knowledge generation rather than the the prestige or the um, the accumulated payoff, as they talk about in this paper, but it has to be a change in like a yeah. So people also need to be change. paid better, and it also needs to be less um, less you know unstable, I guess. Right. So it's not, I guess. You know, idealism doesn't come from nowhere. You need to be able to be idealistic about things. You need to have a certain sense of security. Yep. 
right? So like it is, yeah. Well, as you say, yeah, it's, it's an entire culture shift, but it's not. It's, it can't just be driven by a person's um, idealism. So as Amy said, it's about the funders. In the end, yep. probably. Funders, employers, get on board. I'm actually starting a new contract soon and got to see my job kind of specification and comment on it, which was maybe a little bit weird, but because it's the grant I applied for. <laughs> so it's fine. Um, but I actually kind of made a point of saying, can we add in a little thing about like pushing the lab towards open and reproducible science practices just so it's in there? Cause that's a, it's like, it's not a big thing, but it's something. Um, Probably the, the most positive thing about this whole study is that none of the simulated, or all of the stimulated, stimulated? That's not right. All of the simulated scientists were humanely euthanized, um, which is maybe one of my favorite <laughs> yes. footnotes. Actually, in the ethics statement. Love it. Um, so wonderful. It's amazing. Um, so I guess that's probably us. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, uh... Yeah, I guess. Well, actually, I do have one thing, just because I, I'd like to have those in the in the show notes, because I don't think we've talked about this before. It, this was the paper where we then had that big discussion about uh, observed power, right? Because they also note that um, earlier, like their their power, their sort of uh, estimations of the power. Yeah, um, I think we we did we did. Um, do you want to put that in the show notes? Yeah, I just want to push it, put it in a show notes because I think it was very interesting. And lots of people were like, what? <laughs> yep. But yeah. Cool. Grant. Okay. Cool. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you've read the paper and have any kind of cool comments and corrections for us, chuck those at us. If we're wrong, especially, tell us. Um, if you've got any suggestions <laughs> on how we can fix things, they're also appreciated. If you want to fiddle with the simulation and create like a utopia I'm all on board um, so this was reproducibility um, I've been Sam Parsons with Amy Oblin and Sophia Crivell they're not responding bye <laughs> bye bye see you later guys bye <laughs> bye